Yes, amen. I trust that's your prayer for your home. O oh Lord, our God, our homes are thine forever. We trust to thee their problems, toil, and care. And the one phrase that has stuck out to me in this song is the next to last phrase of the last verse. Be thou the center of our least endeavor. Things like washing dishes and sweeping floors and changing pampers and stuff like that. Yeah, may Christ be the center of those things. This morning our message is a singular love for God is how it's been announced. I, I have to tell you, my paper says something different. I'm not sure if that was a miscommunication or a mishearing um, on my part. My paper says a singular focus on God. It's basically the same thing, because where our love is, that is where our focus will be. But this morning, if you hear me say a singular focus on God, that's, that's why. But I'm confident that if I ask for a raise of hands of all you young families out here, and it's, it's a blessing to have so many fellow young families in this congregation, but if I ask you how many of you desire to have a family that follows God, I'm confident that all your hands would go up. But if you're like me, some days you get overwhelmed with the responsibilities. Some days you feel like a failure. Some days you wish for a proven formula. You know, do this, this, and this, and you will have a family that follows God. Well, recently I heard a preacher give what he called one step to a happy family. So you better get your paper out. We're going to have one, one step to a happy family. It was this. He said, you, talking to the parents, every morning deciding that you are going to be a follower of Jesus. Every morning, you taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following Jesus. So I said it last evening, I'll say it again this morning. Parents, it begins with you. It begins with you. And as was mentioned, last evening we had a very foundational message entitled, A Proper Fear of God. I think most of you heard that message. I just want to briefly remind us of a few things and then lead into the message this morning. We looked at the account in Deuteronomy 5 where God gave Israel the Ten Commandments and we saw the, the, the setting that was given in, the mountain that was smoking, the mountain that was shaking, the, the thunder, and, and the voice of God out of that, out of that scene. It was, a, it was a terrific scene, a terrifying scene, so terrifying that the people told Moses, don't let it happen again. Next time God needs to talk to us, you be the mediator. You stand between us and God. Let God talk to you, and you come and tell us, and whatever God says, we will do. And God's response to Israel was, God said, oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So Israel had a proper fear of God in that moment. And then we went to Hebrews 12, where the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews tells us that what we have in Christ far exceeds what Israel had before Mount Sinai. And so the question for us then is, what will be our response? 
the writer of Hebrews said, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not, speaking of Israel, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. But then we saw that just a few weeks after Israel prostrated themselves before God with this tremendous fear of God, just a few weeks later, they fell before a golden calf, danced around a golden calf, and said, these be the gods that brought us out of Egypt. And I would propose to you this morning that an improper fear of God will invariably lead to idolatry. But a proper fear of God will lead to a singular focus on God. And so the title of the message is, A Singular Focus on God. Now if you think about that title, and just ponder it briefly, A Singular Focus on God. One focus, all the time, on one place, and that is God. And it almost seems like an unattainable ideal. Is, is that really possible? In this world we live in, with all the distractions, with all the busyness of life, with all the, the problems and the stresses, can we really have a singular focus or a singular love for God? Well, I trust that even if maybe it seems unattainable, I trust we won't explain it away and, and find a way around it. Because the fact is, Jesus already preached this message. He did it in a very clear and a very precise way when he said this. This is in Matthew 6. He said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now, notice Jesus didn't say, you shouldn't serve two masters. That's not what he said. He didn't say, try not to serve two masters. But what did he say? You can't. You cannot serve two masters. It's not possible for you to have a vibrant love-faith relationship with Jesus Christ and yet be distracted by the things of this world. And this is a principle that we find all throughout Scripture. God said in Exodus 20, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. None. No other gods. Joshua said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. One or the other. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Paul said, Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. James said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. John said, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And another place, God said, I will not give my glory to another. I will not. The purpose of the message this morning 
is that we would see more clearly that the God we serve is a jealous God. And I want you to understand, and listen to this, I want you to understand that if he is not everything to you, then he is nothing at all to you. But if he is everything to you, then you will strive to raise your family to follow after him. Turn to Deuteronomy 5. Last evening we ended in Deuteronomy 6, and this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time this morning. But I want to begin in Deuteronomy 5, where God gave the Ten Commandments. Now, while you're turning there, someone tell me, what was the first commandment? I already read it once, at least. What was the first commandment? No other gods before me. All right, what was the second one? I shall not make unto thee any graven image. So that was the first two commandments. Now let me read Deuteronomy 5, starting with verse 6. And this is these two commandments. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee, thou shalt not make thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them. Well, why not? For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now, there's a lot that we could look at in that passage. I just want to pull out a few things real quickly. Number one, in these verses, we see the tendency of man to turn his eyes off of Almighty God and look to tangible things. We also see God's hatred and God's judgment on the sin of idolatry. And there's many, many, many places in, in Scripture where God speaks about idolatry, especially in the Old Testament. If you read through there, it's just over and over where God is speaking about idolatry. And I think in pretty much all every situation where you find these verses, you could put these verses in one of these two categories. Man's tendency to fall into idolatry, to worship other gods, and God's hatred of idolatry. The jealousy of God, the, the undivided allegiance that God requires. You could put almost all the passages in those two, two categories. But the other thing that I want you to see in these verses, it's in verse 6, and it's a reality that is of utmost importance if we're going to have a singular focus on God. Before God gave the Ten Commandments, He reminded them of the reality of their redemption. He said, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Egypt. Now, if you go think back to when Israel was in Egypt, they were slaves they were in bondage, and they were trapped. They couldn't save themselves. There, there was nothing they could do to save themselves. But God, God saw their plight, and he sent 
a savior, if you will, in the man Moses. And he performed miraculous, what God, not Moses, God through Moses and through other means performed miraculous things. It was the plagues. There was the death angel. There was, um, he, he, he changed Pharaoh's heart. He parted the Red Sea. He provided food and water for a vast multitude in the desert. He defeated enemy nations. All these things God did for his people. It was very clear that God was their deliverer. He was the one that brought them out. There was no question about it. And therefore, because of this, he required that they have a singular focus on him. In different places in scripture, you find God reminding Israel, I brought you out of Egypt. And believer this morning, the same is true of you. All of us here either are or were in a type of Egypt. We were all in bondage. We were all slaves to sin. And we couldn't save ourselves. We could try, but we couldn't save ourselves. Any attempt that we would make would fail. But God brought us out. God brought us out of Egypt, out of bondage, because he loved us. It's not because of our righteousness, but because of who he is, he brought us out. He made a way that we could be redeemed. He sent his son to be our savior. We are his purchased possession. We are bought by the blood of Jesus. Now all he asks is that we give him everything we have. Every part of us, everything is his. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now I want to do a little object lesson here. I need a few volunteers. I need about four Four volunteers, so volunteer quick or I'll start naming some names. Four um, young men. All right, let's see. Jay, you're a young man. Come up here. All right. <laughs> All right, Aaron. Um, let's see. Wendell. <laughs> now nobody's going Cody. All right, that's four. Okay, so often we read this verse, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I just want to demonstrate to you the picture that I think we get sometimes when we talk about no other gods before me. So since Jay is the oldest of the young men, we're going to, and I almost feel bad doing this, but we're going to label him as, as God, all right? Um, so, so he is God in this object lesson. And so you're going to be here. Now, Aaron, come here. You're going to be our occupation. So you're going to get behind God because we're not going to have any, anything before God. So you're behind God. And then, Wendell, you are, uh, you're our hobby. So you come here behind. So come to the side. I should have put the little ones first. Um, <laughs> you, you're our hobbies, and, and you're behind God. And now, Cody, come up here. You are, let's see, what do you want to be? Um, you're our relationships, whether it's, it's our family or our friends. You're our relationships. All right, now do you like this picture? God is first and everything else is behind him. Isn't that what it says? No other gods before me. And so if, if our occupation would kind of start sneaking up here and start trying to get in front of God, we oh, no, no, you got to stay. God is first, all right? God is first. 
I would propose to you that this is an improper interpretation of this verse. Another way to read this verse would be this. Thou shalt have no other gods in my presence. No other gods in my presence. So we're going to change this this picture here. And and Aaron, I want you to go actually in front of God, face, face God, and get on one knee. And get, get down on the floor. Okay, and all of you, come over here and bow before God. And that's more the picture. That God is king. He is overall in our jobs, in our hobbies, in our relationships, and whatever you, whatever is in your life must be under the lordship of Christ. It is bowing before God. God is in control. And if our job gets in the way of God, we... Get him out of our life. And if our, our, our relationships would get him out of our life, and anything that gets in the way of God, we get him out of our life because God is overall. He is supreme. And there's no other gods in his presence. You can go back to your seats. <laughs> I didn't feel Thank very you. comfortable with this illustration. <laughs> <laughs> I know you didn't. <laughs> but that's the picture we need to have. It's not God first and everything else behind him. Because then we're the one deciding where God is. But, but I, am, I am burdened sometimes when I, and, and I'm getting off my notes here, but you know when I, when I see people, when they go on vacation, they can live different because they're on vacation now. You know what? That's becoming a God. Because it's not under the lordship of Christ. Or maybe when they're with a certain group of people, they can dress different or they can talk different. No, that's not right. It's no other gods in my presence. There's nothing else that can be in my life that is not submitted to the lordship of Christ. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this message. God is over all. He's not just first. He is everything, or else he is nothing at all. Okay, now I want to go to Deuteronomy 6, starting with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now what I see in these verses is a personal relationship with God. And it's a personal commitment to God. And again, parents. And if you read through Deuteronomy 6, you'll see very clearly that this, largely this focus is, is passing the faith on to our children. But parents, it begins with you. We have the responsibility to to direct our homes, and it starts with with our personal relationship, our personal commitment to Christ. Moses said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with how much of thine heart? How much? With all. And with how much of your soul? All. And what about your might? How much of your might? All. How much is all? 
It's everything. Is it possible, dear people, to give a piece of your heart to your hobby or a piece of your soul to the world or a piece of your might to your occupation and still love God with all your heart, soul, and might? Is that possible? What is in thine heart? Is it God or is it a bunch of other stuff? It's one or the other, not both. What is most important in your life? What brings you fulfillment? What are you passionate about? Is it your job? Is it the pursuit of the American dream? Is it your hobby? Or is it the things of God? What is it for you? Do you love God with everything you have? Everything in your life, does it come under the lordship of Jesus Christ? And if you're not sure, maybe you should just ask your children, because they probably know what is most important in your life. Now go back to Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. And Moses here gets very practical. How is a singular focus on God going to impact our life on a day-to-day basis? Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Let me just remind you of verse 6. Verse 6 was, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them on the post of thy house and on thy gates. This is a picture of a singular focus on God being lived out on a day-to-day basis. And we're going we're gonna to look at these verses more this evening, so I'm not going to dig into them much this morning. But what I want you to get this morning is that if verses 4 through 6 are not a reality in your life, that you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, God is what is in your heart, God's word is in your heart, if that's not a reality, then neither will these verses be a reality. These verses are not some formula that you you apply to your life. They are an outflowing of what's already in there. You are so focused and so... God is so much a part of your life that this is what you do. Everything you do, when you sit down, when you rise up, when you lay down, when you decide what to put on the wall, when you decide what to write on your chalkboard or whatever it is, it's just what's coming out of your heart. If verses 4 through 6 are not a reality, then these verses will not be a reality in your life as well. Now, there's a transition in thought between verse 9 and verse 10. And so before I go to verse 10, I want to go to a verse in Judges 2. You can turn here if you like. You don't have to. It's just one verse. But it's a, a very sobering verse. 
When you think of what God did for Israel, the the power that God displayed for his people, his called out people, the people he redeemed, he delivered, and all the instruction that Moses and Joshua gave to pass this on to oncoming generations, all this, these warnings, all this encouragement to pass on the faith, here's what we read in Judges 2, verse 10. And also, all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. How did that happen? How could God do so much for a group of people? And yet, several generations later, the children didn't even know about it. They didn't know who God was. They didn't know about the mighty works that he had, he had done. Somebody dropped the ball. Somebody didn't do their job. Somebody didn't pass on the faith. How could this happen? And yet, you know, we haven't experienced today all the amazing things that Israel saw. All, all the things that they experienced, we haven't experienced that today. But like we saw last night, what we have is far greater. No, maybe not intangible things that we can actually see with our eyes and hear with our ears. But what we have in Christ far exceeds what Israel had. Are we transmitting this truth to our children? Are we passing this faith on to the next generation? Or will a generation arise that knows not what God has done for us? Now, I trust that that will not be said of our oncoming generations. I believe we are trying to transmit this truth. We are teaching our children. And praise God, let's keep it up. Let's keep teaching our children. But let's be honest. We have had way too many children that we've held in our arms only to see them turn and walk away from God. Why is this? And I don't have all the answers for this, but I want to go back to Deuteronomy 6 where Moses give several warnings of things that could turn the people's focus off of God and onto other things. And when you read these warnings, it just it's so sobering because it's right where we're at today. It applies so much to us today. And, and I'm going to give you three, three things that Moses warns against that could take these people's focus off of God into the world. Deuteronomy 6, I want to start with verse 10. The first point, the first thing that Moses gives, I'm calling increase. Increase. Deuteronomy 6, verse 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, 
and wells digged that thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8 verse 10. Very basically saying the same thing. It says this, Deuteronomy 8.10, When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest, when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now jump to verse 17. And thou shalt say in thine heart, you wouldn't say it out loud, you'll say in your heart, my power and my might and the might of my hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. The warning here is very clear. Material prosperity, although it is a gift from God, will have the tendency to draw our focus off of God. You believe that? When times are good, when life is easy, there's money in the bank, all our needs are taken care of, Moses said, beware. Beware. Because it's very easy at that time to forget the Lord your God that brought you out of Egypt. The very things that God had blessed Israel with were the very things that had the potential to destroy them. Now, I'm not saying this morning that material prosperity is wrong, but I am saying that it ought to make us tremble. There is a huge danger when times are good for our hearts to be lifted up and say, again, we wouldn't say it out loud, Israel didn't, we wouldn't either, but we'll say in our heart, look at what I've done. Look at where, what I've achieved. Look at what my hand has gotten me. Again, remember our little illustration that Jay didn't like. There's nothing wrong with having a job. There's nothing wrong with having relationships. There's nothing wrong even with having a hobby or going on a vacation. But if it doesn't come under the lordship of Christ, it's wrong. It's taking our focus off of God. So beware of increase. Second thing, idols. Chapter 6, verse 13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. Ye shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. Why? For the Lord thy God 
is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. And so the warning here is that the nations around Israel had gods that appealed to the flesh. They were gods you could touch. They were gods you could, you could go and you could see them. And you could bow down to them. And you could worship them. And this had great appeal to the people. But the warning is, our God is a jealous God. He requires all that you have. You fear the Lord and have nothing to do with these gods. Now I want to challenge you with this thought. When we think of idolatry, we often talk about things that could become idols. Things in our life that could become idols. And we say, you know, don't let these things become an idol. And we, and we could list almost anything. Uh, we already, already listed some this morning. We could list almost anything and say, don't let this become an idol. But Psalm 96 says that all the gods of the nations, you know what comes next? They are idols. They don't become idols. They are idols. Now, and so in the Old Testament, you never heard God say, don't let your graven images become an idol. Or don't let Baal become an idol. They were idols. God said have nothing to do with them. Now, does our nation have gods today? I believe it does. You want to list some of them? Sports? Anything else? Pursuit of pleasure? Luxurious living? The love of money? Hollywood? Now the question is, do these things become a God or are they a God? And if they are a God, should we have anything to do with them? I'll let you answer that question. But I believe that even today, the gods of our nation are idols. And we should flee from these idols. We serve a jealous God. Let's not provoke him to anger with our divided allegiance. And I want to talk just briefly here about something that I'm going to call generational idolatry. There's a verse in 2 Kings. This is 2 Kings 17, verse 41, that I read some time ago. And it was, it was very challenging, very sobering. It said this, So these nations feared the Lord and served... Let me emphasize that. Y'all listen to this. These nations served... These nations feared the Lord. Okay, that's good, right? And served their graven images. They feared the Lord and served their graven images. Now get this. Both their children and their children's children, as did their fathers, so do they unto this day. Generational idolatry. It's a picture of a generation that, that called on the name of God, they dressed right, they went to church, they did all the right things, and they followed the gods of the world. They did both. Is that okay? No, that's not okay. And what's really not okay is, as did the fathers, so do the children to this day.
passed on from generation to generation. And I could give you an illustration of this. We're running out of time, so I think I'm, I'm not going to. But it's real today. Generational idolatry. The gods that our fathers had are often the same gods that we worship. Somebody, please, break the curse. Fathers, get real with God. Get the gods out of your life. Don't pass these idols on to your children. All right, we need to move on. Number three, influences. Influences. Go to Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Havites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter shall not give Thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shall ye deal with them. Ye shall destroy their altars and break down their images and cut down their groves and burn their graven images with fire. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. So Moses is telling the people here, when you come into the land, get rid of the evil. Get rid of these influences that will turn your heart away from God. These influences that will turn your children away from God. He didn't say beware of them. He said get rid of them. There's a big difference. Some time ago, I was in a meeting, and, the, and the, speak, the one speaker at that meeting showed us a picture on a PowerPoint, and it was a picture of a birdhouse. It was a picture he took in his backyard, and this was a real nice little birdhouse. It, had a, it looked like a, a regular house. It had a chimney and a front porch, and, and you know, it was a real, real well-built birdhouse. And up in the one corner, there was a text box, and it said, what comes to your mind when you think of a birdhouse? So that was the question. And people said different things. Things like safety, security, shelter, things like that. Safe place to raise a family. But then he took the text box off of the picture and revealed a big black snake in the tree right above the birdhouse. And it was a powerful illustration of our homes. We want to protect our homes. We want to make our homes a safe place. But we have an adversary that is seeking to kill and destroy. And, and that adversary doesn't care how he gets in. He just wants to get in. And I just want, I want you to get this little picture in your mind. We have our house. And we want to make it secure. And so we lock the doors. And we shut the windows. 
and we put up security cameras and we get a guard dog and, and hopefully you don't do all these things, but, but just get the, understand my point here, okay? We do all these things to make our house a safe place to be. And then we bring the devil in in our own pocket. And we bring the devil in in the newspaper or magazines or the radio or the television or whatever it is. We allow the devil free access into our home. Fathers, I want to challenge you this morning. You are the watchman of your home. You are the one that stands guard by that door and says, and says there are certain things that will not come through this door. Do you know what your children are looking at? Do you know what they're listening to? Do you know what they're reading? Do you know who they're associating with? Do we care about our children enough to say, son, daughter, I love you. I care about you, and I'm concerned about what I see. This thing is dragging you down. Father, you're the watchman. Guard your home. Guard it. One of the biggest questions we face when we talk about non-resistance is, what would you do if someone attacked your family? And that's a, that's a sobering question, and it's one that we really have to grapple with when we think about non-resistance, because we love our children. We wouldn't want anything bad to happen to them. But the challenge I want to give you this morning is that our, someone is attacking our children. They are. We have an adversary that is attacking our children. What are we doing about it? Do we care? Do we, do we recognize the danger Fathers, you are the gatekeeper of your home. Guard your homes. I want to give you a little illustration to help drive this point home. And I apologize. I see I'm going a little over time here. This is a story that all of you know, or most of you know. It's a story that was very real to you several years ago. It's a story that you may have wept over. It's a story that you probably prayed about. It's a story about a young lady by the name of Sasha Cross. You remember the story? A young Mennonite lady who was abducted and eventually murdered. This was a story that really gripped our hearts. And it left us saying, why did it happen? How did it happen? And, and what can we do to keep it happen, to, to prevent it from happening again? But you know, from what I read about Sasha, I think we can be confident that she is eternally at home with Jesus. And yet, dear people, there are hundreds and hundreds of young people who, because of the influences in their life, their smartphones, their music, their associations, and the list could go on, they're stolen out of our arms and drug away to a Christless grave. And let me ask you, what is the greater tragedy? What should bring us to our knees more? And yet oftentimes, it seems that we barely notice. You know, it's just one of those things we say. Everybody needs to make their own decisions, we say. 
But if we were losing our children in farming accidents at the same rate we're losing them to the devil, we would be beside ourselves. We'd be wrapping them in bubble wrap to try to protect them. But what about their souls, their eternal souls? Again, Father, you are the watchman. Love your children enough to protect your home. Get rid of the evil. Smash the high places. Destroy the altars. Be a watchman. Care about what your children are listening to and looking at and who they're associating with and love them enough to take action. Now, I want to talk very briefly about offense. Don't just take things away from your children. Don't just say no to your children. Give them good music to listen to. Give them good books to read. Spend quality time with them. Encourage them to spend time with good friends. You must. It's vital. It's just as important as being a watchman. I I once had a conversation with a father who was telling me about his relationship with his son. It was so beautiful. He had a his son was probably upper teens, low 20s, and he said, we talk almost daily. And, and his son was not living at home anymore. He was, I think, doing VS work. He said, we talk almost daily, and we talk about life. We talk about purity. We talk about all these things. We have a good relationship. And it was, it was just a beautiful picture of what it should be. And I feel certain that that father also could say, son, I'm concerned about this influence in your life because of the good that he was doing in that child's life. So in closing, I believe that it is the desire of each one of us to have a singular focus on God. But may we be aware of the things that distract us and take our focus off of the God that brought us out of Egypt. He is the one who has loved us so much that he would send his son to die so that we could go free. And so may our response to this tremendous gift be a heartfelt, sincere adoration of God that loves him with all our heart, all our soul, and all our might. Shall we have a song?